Saint Oscar Romero once said, we cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. Welcome to the 20th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP if you want to be cool. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we need to know that God doesn't expect us to fix everything, solve everything, or figure everything out, but rather to live in the peace of knowing he'll accomplish all of it and more. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, as has sadly been the case with a few episodes of the podcast, I want to start by talking about suicide. News broke earlier this week that K-pop idol Sully died by suicide and was found in her home Monday afternoon with a note that has yet to been released. Sully was a child actor in Korea before joining the girl group FX in 2009 and then went back to acting in 2015 before going solo on the music scene last summer. This news comes two years after another K-pop legend, Jong Hyun, died by suicide and five months after after Gu Hara, another K-pop idol and actress, was found unconscious at her home after posting the word goodbye on her Instagram account. Let's start by taking a moment to pray for the souls of those mentioned who died by suicide, the souls of everyone who has ever died by suicide. God is that big, and our prayers are that powerful. And for everyone living through that darkness that drives us to contemplate suicide, that they may be given the grace and strength to reach out, and that they may find someone willing to listen, willing to help, and willing to sit with them in their sorrow and hold the hope for them so they can carry on. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. I know I've said this on the podcast before, but I could say it every day and it still wouldn't be enough. If you're feeling suicidal, if you feel like ending your life and you have a plan and the means and intent to carry out that plan, please text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 right now. It's an incredibly helpful crisis text line that helps you, tells you where to go, what to do, and follows up with you after the fact to check in. I know, I really, really know that it doesn't feel like there's any hope. It doesn't feel like anyone can understand your pain. It doesn't feel like there's any other option. But that's your brain lying to you. Your brain is keeping you from seeing the hope that's truly there. So reach out for help and let us hold the, hold the hope for you and help you as you take one step forward at a time. May God bring the soul of Sully and all those who have suffered to the point of dying by suicide into his loving embrace in a way known only to him. Next up, a question I'm sure a lot of us have thought about. Does our diagnosis stick with us for the rest of our lives? If we meet a therapist and they think we have bipolar disorder, for example, are we labeled that way forever? Even if we share information with someone in the future that shows that that therapist might have gotten it wrong? Well, the easy answer here is that it shouldn't. But depending on the person helping you, 
it might. As a therapist, I have a, a lot of people come in and respond to my questions with, hey, I'm sure it's all in the chart, just look it up. And typically I respond by saying, I do have a lot of information that other people have written about you, but oftentimes the person helping you might get it wrong and I wanna make sure I make it right. And when I review history with someone, I typically say something along the lines of, now on this day, this person wrote this about your substance use or this about your mood. Does that sound accurate? Is that what you remember telling them? I do this not only as a way of trying to create trust in our brand new relationship, but also by empowering the people I meet. I like to tell people, look, you're the expert on you. I'm going to trust your assessment of yourself because nobody knows you better than you do. I'd rather hear what you have to say about things going on in your life than rely on a doctor who met you 15 minutes from back in 2015. On the flip side of all this, I personally know people who respond differently and hold a, this doctor said this person had borderline personality disorder back in 2014 and that's good enough for me, and then they view everything someone says or does through the lens of that diagnosis. This is something a lot of us in the mental health world are trying to change, trying to fight against, and honestly, I think there's been quite a bit of progress. One last note uh, on this topic, I've seen a lot of people stay away from getting the help they need because they don't want to be labeled with a diagnosis for themselves and for their children. And while I can completely understand the feelings behind a choice like this, I have to say, please, don't let the idea of being labeled keep you away. Reaching out for help is a strength, not a weakness. Learning more about yourself so that you can start to begin to learn how to take better care of yourself is a strength, not a weakness. So don't let the fear of being diagnosed by a helping professional keep you away. You are you not a diagnosis. You're a human being deserving of love, not a code in a book. God wants to help you through the helping professionals he's putting in your path, and I pray we can all be open to that. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Saints Sergius and Bacchus. <laughs> Soldiers from the 4th century, Serge and Bacchus are revered as martyrs and military saints, and their feast day is October 7th. Their history shows they were both officers in the army and held in high esteem until they were outed as being secret Christians after refusing to offer sacrifice to the god Jupiter. Because of this discovery, they were humiliated by being chained up, dressed in women's clothing, and paraded around town. Bacchus was eventually tortured to death, and Serge was beheaded. And because of their bravery, they were seriously popular in late antiquity, with churches built in their honor in Constantinople and Rome, just to name a few places. And their close friendship makes them one of the most famous examples of paired saints in church history. It's worth noting here that a historian by the name of John Boswell has made the claim that there may have been a romantic relationship between the two, and he goes as far as making the claim that they were united in a rite known as brother-making, which he claims was a type of early Christian same-sex union or blessing. But his methodology and conclusions have been roundly disputed by multiple other historians and determined to be quite a reach based on the evidence available. Despite that, Serge and Bacchus are venerated in the LGBT Christian community, and a 1994 icon of the pair has become a popular symbol of the community. So, you know, now you know. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, and we're going to go with this one, which was written by Father Robert Janine, let's go with OFM.
Your martyrs, Sergius and Bacchus, O Lord, loved each other and you with such complete abandon that they were willing to suffer torments and give up their earthly lives rather than deny you. They were subjected to disgrace and humiliation in an attempt to embarrass and degrade them. Their love for each other and you, O Lord, sentenced them to death, but gained for them eternal life and glory with you. I pray that they will look upon me and have mercy on me, interceding on my behalf to you, O blessed Lord, pleading my case so that I may join them and all the saints when my days here on earth have ended. That they will plead for the guidance of the Holy Spirit in the work of our mission and be an inspiration to those who have strayed away from your flock to return so that there is only one flock and one shepherd. O Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Kristen kicks us off. Can you talk about weather-triggered PTSD? I nearly lost my car in Tropical Storm Imelda and am having flashbacks to the pain of Hurricane Harvey. Thanks for sending this in, Kristen. Let's all take a moment to pray for everyone experiencing the anxiety, panic, flashback, hypervigilance, and paralyzing fear associated with triggering events they can't avoid. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Absolutely, weather-triggered PTSD is a thing. I mean, here's the deal. PTSD is diagnosed in a bit of a complicated manner, so let's walk through it together. First, the person has to have been exposed to death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence in one of the following ways. Direct exposure, witnessing the trauma, learning that a relative or close friend was exposed to a trauma, indirect exposure to aversive details of the trauma, usually in the course of professional duties like a doctor or a first responder. Next, the event is persistently re-experienced in at least one of the following ways. Unwanted ups setting memories, nightmares, flashbacks, emotional distress after the exposure, physical reactivity after the exposure. Next, it is noted that we try to take steps to avoid trauma-related stimuli after the trauma. And finally, at least two alterations in cognition or mood started with or were worsened by the trauma, including irritability and aggression, risk or destructive behavior, hypervigilance, heightened startle reaction, difficulty concentrating, difficulty sleeping. And of course, as always, the symptoms have to last at least more than one month and lead to making it difficult for us to function in our daily lives. The hard thing about weather-related PTSD is that we don't really have the option of avoiding the triggering event. Extreme weather returns without our permission, and it impacts our life without our consent. So, we have to reach into our toolbox of coping skills to help us push through the above-mentioned symptoms. Deep breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, mindfulness, self-monitoring, social support, self-soothing, expressive writing, and my personal favorite, distraction. Google these techniques and find out which one works for you, and I would say use it when the forecast starts showing some sort of uh, weather event that may trigger your anxiety and PTSD. 
Barb is up next. Is it normal in the aftermath of a severe accident involving a family member to worry about all the things that could also go very wrong for yourself and other family members? In other words, it's not my trauma, but it feels like my PTSD. Barb, thanks for sending this one in and doubling down on our PTSD content for this episode. First off, everyone join me in praying for Barb and her family member involved in the accident that they may both experience the peace of Christ in a tangible way this very day. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. So yes, it is 100% normal to worry about things that could go wrong for yourself and other members of your family in the aftermath of another person being involved in a bad accident. These kind of events, while not happening to us specifically, lead us to pause and consider how we would respond if they did. And that's a good thing, not only because it prepares us, but also because it shows we have a strong sense of empathy for others. That being said, vicarious traumatization is a real thing that we have to mention here. Vicarious trauma is the emotional residue of exposure that we have from hearing another's traumatic story and becoming a witness to their pain, fear, and terror that the survivor has endured. It's real, it impacts all of us, and the best approach to coping with it is found in the same toolbox of coping skills related to firsthand PTSD that I mentioned before. Deep breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, mindfulness, self-monitoring, social support, self-soothing distraction. I think it's worth noting that we probably shouldn't be fighting our thoughts in these situations, but rather letting them come because they will come and then working to cope with them once they arrive. That's where we show our strength, not in pretending that we can stop them, if that makes sense. Hang in there, Barb. Anonymous wraps us up. I was wondering if you could talk about how to deal with long lingering grief, specifically the grief occasioned by a past abortion or other terrible thing that someone did but now regrets so deeply. Using myself as an example, I had an abortion more than 30 years ago when I was young and self-absorbed and had not broken out of the teaching I had imbibed growing up that this was okay. As it turned out, the baby I killed would be the only child I would ever conceive. Although I did get to experience motherhood through my adopted sons. Even after confessing my abortion during my conversion to Catholicism almost 30 years ago, even after all these years, facing what I did fills me with tears and shame and the deepest grief. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions for people like me? Is there a way to resolve the pain of this incurable, self-inflicted wound? Oh, Anonymous, I, I feel so blessed that you reached out and shared your experience because I think it's going to help a lot of people realize they aren't alone. And I wish I could help you feel the peace and consolation God wants you to feel. But since it's beyond my control, I'll turn you and everyone in a similar situation over to the loving arms of the Blessed Virgin Mary and ask that she bring you comfort and peace this very day. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First off, I want you to know that you are loved and you deserve to be loved. God loves you. He loves you for who you are, and he wants you in heaven with him when it's all said and done. I would assume all of us know the pain of feeling shame and guilt for a sin of our past and that piercing feeling of being unlovable and unforgivable in the sight of God. But the pain that you have in your life is so acute and comes across so vividly in your words. And I just hope that everyone who prayed for you just now will continue to do so moving forward. My favorite Catholic hero, Dorothy Day, is someone who I believe has the ability to be a powerful patron and friend to you on this journey. Most people know Dorothy had an abortion at the age of 24. Dorothy once wrote about her difficulty with accepting the forgiveness of Christ and her continued regret over her abortion. And how she felt she had to believe in Christ's forgiveness and mercy even though she didn't feel it. This is a quote from Dorothy. If you believe in the mission of Jesus Christ, then you are bound to try to let go of your past in the sense that you are entitled to his forgiveness. To keep regretting what was is to deny God's grace. I just want to repeat this part that she said, you are entitled to his forgiveness. And I'll add this further reflection of hers on the topic. This is another quote from Dorothy. And so, when it comes to divorce, birth control, abortion, I must write in this way. The teaching of Christ, the word, must be upheld. Held up, though one would think that it is completely beyond us, out of our reach, impossible to follow. I believe Christ is our truth and is with us always. We may stretch towards it, falling short, failing 70 times 7, but his forgiveness is always always there. He is a kind and loving judge. The verdict in the confessional is always not guilty. Even though our firm resolve with the help of his grace to confess our sins, do penance, and amend our lives may seem a hopeless proposition, it always contains that act of contrition, the phrase, to confess our sins, even though we have just finished confessing them, which indicates that the priest knows, and we know, and we want to be honest about it, that we will be back in that confessional again and again. To close it out, my suggestion for people like you and all of us really, as you asked, is this. Read and meditate on the parable of the prodigal son. Read and meditate on the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And read and meditate on Psalm 70. How many tribulations you have given me, how many and how severe. But you have brought me to life again, led me back up from the abyss. You will lift me on high once again. You will turn and console me. Go forward with our prayers, Anonymous, and remember that our burdens are truly lighter when we carry them together. And may God bless you with an unfathomable peace for allowing us to carry yours alongside you today. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode and the first season of St. Dymphna's Playbook. I'm so grateful for everyone listening. And please continue to send in your questions, situations, experiences, and saints if you'd like me to address them in season two. The DMs are open, and once we have a nice collection of questions to bring to your earbuds, we'll be back. Until next time, go easy on yourselves, take care of yourselves, and if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.